Behind the scenes, before the downbeat, there's a room backstage where magic starts to happen. The green room, the place where musicians spend those last few minutes before a concert, going over their music, warming up their fingers, changing their clothes, putting on their makeup. And then someone knocks on the door and calls, five minutes to curtain, five minutes please, and it's showtime. This is a look into the real lives of classical musicians, a show about the people behind the music. I'm Lara Downs. Welcome to The Green Room. With me this time in The Green Room, pianist, writer, and certified genius, Jeremy Denk. Writing is very different from playing the piano, obviously, and, and it takes up a tremendous amount of mental space once you take it seriously, and that's why writers are such happy and well-adjusted people always... On the best days, you know, like something that I'll write about Beethoven will actually percolate over to how I play the Beethoven, and then, then they, they kind of make each other happy, the writing and the playing. Words and music. Back in college, writing was a mental and physical escape from the hours spent in the claustrophobic, stuffy confines of the practice room. My happiest times at Oberlin, I think, were sitting reading and writing in the, in the quad in Oberlin, in those rare moments when it wasn't snowing or sleeting. Fast forward a few years, 2005. Merriam-Webster had just declared blog the word of the year. The Huffington Post had just launched. 32 million Americans were reading blogs. Political blogs, travel blogs, gardening blogs, fashion blogs, mommy blogs, religious blogs and the sporadic, insightful, and always humorous postings of one young, ambitious concert pianist with a little too much time on his hands and a lot on his mind. Jeremy called his blog, in a decisively nerdy play on words, Think Dink. Back then, somehow, I eked out a living, and I also had tremendous amounts of time to, to write for the blog, and I wrote you know, all kinds of things, uh, musings on, on what is kind of a very insular life. I mean, I enjoy writing about myself to a certain extent, but not that much. And I enjoy writing about music really well the most. All kinds of people liked reading what he had to say about music. His readers started following him from his blog into the concert hall. His visibility as a soloist grew dramatically. A major PR firm saw the value in Jeremy's reach outside of traditional classical music circles and took him on as a client. His concert bookings went up. Over the next years, his career flourished and grew into something most pianists only dream about. Fast forward again to 2012, and The New Yorker, you know, the holy grail for every serious writer under the sun, never mind concert pianists who do a little blogging on the side. The New Yorker published his piece, The Flight of the Concord, a boldly revealing essay about the interior and exterior conflicts, what Jeremy calls the narcissistic suffering, that come up in the process of making a recording. Other essays and reviews came out in the New York Times Book Review, The Guardian, The New Republic, and then Random House gave him a book deal for a memoir about being a musician, from piano lessons to life lessons. It was a career that most writers only dream about. All of a sudden, words and music were taking up a whole lot of space. You know, when I was in the middle of a tremendous amount of work, and I posted some things from Boston where I was working about basically... Um, how to deal with the sense of emergency and every, you know, all the deadlines and all the business. And 
I wrote this sort of satirical self-help thing where I had a three-step process of dealing with it, which was ignore all existing emergencies. That was the first one. And the second one was uh, invent sort of new things to be emergencies that are completely trivial. In this case, like the absence of oatmeal from my cupboard. Then the third step was this sort of mysterious deus ex machina thing where you just kind of reach this transcendental emptiness. But it's this whole process of, you know, discovering perspective through just this the ridiculousness of, of various coping mechanisms. It is very stressful to be in the middle of a sort of two careers. I don't know, I hope that humor kind of rescues it also from being just whining, which is, which is unpleasant. Uh, <laughs> no, we all get in these situations. Sometimes even three-step coping strategies don't do the trick. Sometimes you realize that maybe you're just in a little over your head. I had, for many years, this deadline of writing 32 blog posts about the global migration for NPR, for which I eventually did three. Like, I'm determined I'm going to write these goddamn Goldberg Creations blog. And I took a packet of index cards and the score of the Goldberg Creations to my local wine bar, which is a mistake strategically. But I went there around nine and I was working with a, you know, a club soda or whatever and some tapas, you know, at the bar and writing in my index cards. And then this waiter from a nearby Italian restaurant who I've known for many years, he comes in and, and, and he's like, you got to try this Barolo or whatever. And then... There's this great like series of ever more illegible index cards of my <laughs> Goldberg Variations blog posts. And then like somehow several days go- later, I go back in there and then there's all these like, oh, it's nice to see you again. And sort of raised eyebrows like God knows what was said and what we discussed. And was I ranting about Bach to the assembled bar? I have no idea. Now you're writing for The New Yorker. You're playing piano all over the world, sometimes by yourself, sometimes with a violinist named Joshua Bell. Your recordings are on all the best of the best lists. Terry Gross interviews you about Ligeti on her show. Apparently, you're some kind of a freaking genius. So what's the logical next step? You get a phone call one day from Chicago, from the MacArthur Foundation. I, I was at the gym when I, when I got the mysterious call. Of course, I'm standing on the Stairmaster between these two fitness nuts, and, I, and so I had to call them back, and I went home. And there was, you know, it's a little dance around the apartment. My parents were pretty bowled over. I think astonished. Uh, I finally shocked them. Here are some of the most self-exposed, enduringly public things you can do. One, post naked pictures of yourself on the internet. Two, publish your writing. Three, record your music. Jeremy has done, to my knowledge, two out of the three. Words and music. Putting them out into the world takes a little crazy, a dose of courage, and a very good editor. You know, there's the first round of editing the piece where you, you know, the gist or the narrative is lagging. You have to refocus the entire story or, or add this. or, you know. And that process can feel a lot like, you know, when I'm sitting with Adam Ames' house and editing through my records, you know. And there's something truly, you know, horrible and, and music destroying about that in a certain way. And then, you know, we're listening to some playbacks and I couldn't follow the music which I myself had played I couldn't find where I was on the score. That whole process, once you deposit it into the microphone and then it comes back at you, it's, it's kind of a weirdly alien thing. It's the interesting parallels between writing and practicing and recording, right? Because practicing is like the daily writing of a, you know, a writer, right? But the editing is really more like recording. Try to whip it into something that makes sense. And, that, and that's when you really need the counsel of another party, <laughs> Some sane person to say, uh, you know, this is working or this isn't working. 
Once you've done it, once you've committed your words to paper or your notes to the microphone, there can be something wonderful about revisiting the moment in time that you've captured there. For musicians raised on a diet of practice makes perfect, always trying to improve, always reaching towards some unattainable perfection, there can be unexpected surprises in revisiting the musical efforts of your younger self. I have a, my college audition tape still, which is... Uh... But the cadenza in that performance is, I've never played it as well as that. It's, it's really, it's really something. So that, that's really nice, you know. And, and I often think of those sorts of things, like the, the sort of, the whole thing when you go out on stage and you have to trust, you know, certain innate abilities that you have. That's very important. And those tapes are like, you know, proof of that. You, you get to hear, you know, the core of what you thought about music, even at a very idiotic, you know, phase of your life. And you didn't know anything, but you knew some things. You really did. Words and music. There's a tradition here. Schumann was a writer as well as a composer, so were Wagner, Berlioz, and Prokofiev. More recently, Glenn Gould wrote about music as obsessively and profoundly as he played it. And then there was Leonard Bernstein, an eloquent author on top of all the rest. In Jeremy's own life, one figure who has inspired the synthesis of words and music is the late pianist and writer Charles Rosen. Rosen's National Book Award-winning The Classical Style, published in 1971, is a brilliant and meticulous examination of the classical period through the music of Haydn, Mozart, and Beethoven. Rosen himself has been called a performer of the utmost distinction whose writing exactly mirrors his playing. Subtle, precise, penetrating, and though by no means lacking in fun, intended to challenge. It's a description that could be well applied to Jeremy, too. The two men were close during the last years of Rosen's life, and the friendship inspired Jeremy the pianist to devote himself increasingly to the titanic trio of classical composers, and Jeremy the writer to produce the libretto for a new opera based on Rosen's book. I wanted to make it a love letter to him in some ways, but I didn't want it to be this single note. It wasn't just Charles the professor, but it was Charles. The professor who could not be stopped, Charles. Charles, the lover of knowledge, to excess in, in many ways, um, the sort of kind of unique man. This kind of a force of nature. Finally, it's a chance to put words and music together. And it's a chance to blend serious scholarship with the wit and comedy that is part of the miracle of the classical style itself. And also the underlying sense of fun and humor that runs throughout Jeremy's writing, his music, and his changing, complicated, Denkian life. Music jokes about everything. It can't do knock-knock jokes or whatever, but, you know, it can do all kinds of other, other referential jokes. Part of the first scene where Mozart, Haydn, and Beethoven, suddenly the New York Times arrives in heaven, and they read an article that says that classical music is dead. And I, I wrote a little text for them to sing over a, basically a Baroque lament. That's a real joke, is to listen to this classical Baroque lament on the classical music. All over the Western world the alarm is sounding that classical music is in trouble. Walk 
distrust subscription sales are dropping. Dropping. In some cases, dropping. more than 2% a year. On summers, are not balancing their bars. Audiences are getting older, young people are turned off. So with all of this, the blog, the book, the concerts, the recordings, and the MacArthur, with so much on your plate and so much on your mind, what comes next? In the world of Jeremy Denk, there will be words and there will be music and some deep thoughts and fun will be had. That may be one thing that I do with MacArthur money is, is create this sort of series of Denkian whatever's blathers. Denk blathers about music. That could be it. So from all of us who are out there on the front lines making the world safe for classical music, whether we're at home in the studio or out on the road, packing or unpacking, doing our laundry, doing our hair, doing our taxes, it's just a day in the life and we'll do it again tomorrow. I'm Lara Downs at the piano. If you're in the audience at our next show, come backstage and see us in the green room. <laughs>